1: Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast, the post-Soviet postcast podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host Manu Veth, and as always, I'm joined by Andrew Flynn. Andrew, how are you doing?
2: I'm not doing too bad, thanks, Manu. Not bad at all. I'm in the um, tropical paradise that is Northern England at the moment, still, um, and uh, yeah, enjoying a bit of non-league football here. But good to good to focus on on the Soviet space today.
1: Non-league football.
2: Oldingham, Manny. Oldingham, oh. the greatest non-league team of all time.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. I I'm actually <laughs> honestly mean that. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, joining us, and you've probably already heard him laugh in the
3: background, is Tim. Tim, how are you doing? Good, man. good morning. It's very early in Vancouver but I'm excited for the pod. We have a few interesting things to talk about Hans Spartak starts their uh, Champions League this, uh today so that's exciting as well.
1: Yeah, unfortunately we'll have to talk about that next week and hopefully with, with a good outcome, right Tim? I mean, that's, oh, yeah. fingers crossed. A very interesting opponent in Park, a team that we covered quite a bit last season. Let's hope let's hope Savitas is not disturbing that occasion. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did we just say for the title, high noon in Thessaloniki? So yeah, that seemed yeah. that seemed fitting. But <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I have my fingers crossed that this works out well. Um Spark, of course, it would be great to have them in the Champions League group stage like last season. But boys, before we talk about all about Spartak, the Moscow derby, everything else that happened in, in Russian football, post Soviet football. I want to introduce a very special guest to talk to us about osmanov Everton Arsenal, the business side of English football in paul Paul, how are you doing you've been on this podcast before it 's been a while. um I just checked it 's been almost a year.
4: How are you doing yeah i can 't believe it 's been so long um Very good thanks uh very interesting times at everton and um I was woken up at two o'clock in the morning yesterday by journalists phoning me asking me about Usmanov. So uh, yesterday was a crazy day. But um yeah, yeah, good good stuff.
1: Yeah, it's it's been interesting. So I guess we we'll start really with why you were woken up, right? At two o'clock in the morning is because Usmanov and this is a surprise, maybe not a surprise for some. Um, he, he sold all his shares um in Arsenal yesterday. And um of course those who are not so familiar with the situation in Arsenal Arsenal um was is Stan Crunker as the majority shareholder, right and Usmanov for a long time is the minority shareholder and he held up to thirty percent of the shares and the two were pretty much in a standoff well Usmanov was in a standoff of crunker because crunker had a controlling stake right
4: and yeah very much so very and, much um... so right. Uzmanov's biggest problem was that Kronke would not allow him any representation on the board Mm. nor would he allow him any influence or any ability to discuss uh, with board members or with himself uh, any of the aspects about running running Arsenal. Now Uzmanov has said for many years um, and he said as recently as a couple of months ago that he would be Long-term holder of Arsenal shares, that despite the difficulties and the frustrations of his relationship with Konke, he would always hold his shares, um, claiming that he would leave them for his um, his stepson. Um, so it was it was a huge surprise. There had been a couple of whispers. The Financial Times had run an article a couple of weeks ago saying that there, were, um, there was a possibility of a sale, but that that had been denied by Uzmanov's people. Um, but yeah. Yesterday morning at seven o'clock, uh, uh, London time, uh, London Stock Exchange made an announcement saying that uh, Usman offered had agreed to sell his thirty percent for five hundred and fifty million pound.
1: Yeah, and it's, I mean, the the timing of it is interesting because it opens the doors for a bunch of speculations. I mean, we had you on the podcast to discuss Everton and his potential involvement there, and I want to get to that in a moment. But I think the yeah. timing is interesting because of the the climate between. The Russian Federation and the United Kingdom. When you when you look at the two countries, um yes, many people point out Osmanov is a Uzbek, but the reality is that most of his financial dealings are in the Russian Federation. Right? When you look at his holdings, um some that just come to mind is, is megaphone, USM, etc., they're all big Russian conglomerates. And when you look at the current climate between Britain and and Russia, I mean and we recently talked about Roman Abramovich and his troubles of getting a visa, a renewed visa in the United yeah. Kingdom. So that the timing of this right now, almost it, it, one one way to speculate is, of course, he's he's pulling out his assets in the United Kingdom, right, Paul?
4: Yeah. Um Usmanov slightly different from Abramovich in that he has permanent residency in the UK, so um he doesn't have the same visa issues that uh, Abramovich had recently. But there's no denying that the trend for uh, Russian investors is to uh, remove assets from the UK where possible. And, of course, the um, one of his largest holdings, Megafon, as you just mentioned, has been listed on the London Stock Exchange for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And um, he's currently in the process of delisting that and taking it back privately, um, which is obviously a reflection of uh, relationships between the two countries. Uh, but also a reflection of um investor demand in russian r- russian businesses uh, megafon has lost 75% of its value in the last 18 months so it's probably a sensible idea for him to do that but um certainly with regards to arsenal it it, it was a surprise yeah notwithstanding what we just said mm, i
1: think the 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 one thing that i find fascinating um and the, 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 the you mentioned megafon and the the valuation of the company is also that, of course, the current investor climate, you don't know which... We have one U.S. Treasury list now that another roll out. And when I mean U.S. Treasury list, those are basically sanction lists, right? And when you look at the names that have appeared, you just wonder when the next list comes out that includes someone like mm-hmm. Osmanov and Abramovich, right? And that basically means Correct. that um that person cannot do any business with any U.S. company or deal in U.S. currency, and that's—I mean—the the situation is very complex because the U.S. Uh, Treasury, which when you're on that list, anything that you touch that's U.S. or anyone who is U.S. and touches anything that's involved in you, if you're on that list, is is potentially damaging, right? So you just, you just wonder. And I mean, we have speculated with Abramovich and I think it's still very much a possible possibility that that could happen because we don't know which way the relationship between US and um, Russia is going. We don't know which way the, the, the relationship between the West and Russia is going. So I think that's very much a possibility. So almost delisting it from a Western stock exchange almost seems a little bit like a security blanket at the moment, doesn't it, Paul?
4: absolutely and um i don't i don't think you can blame any any of the russian investors or owners of companies for doing it given given the relationships i mean clearly we're not going to talk about the rights and wrongs of of, the, of those relationships but you know purely from a point of view of protecting your own personal wealth and the wealth of your shareholders you're well, you're legally charged with doing whatever you have to do in order to protect that um that wealth and protect the business so um, it's no surprise at all uh, that he's doing it with his quoted companies, but it, it is a surprise that he's done it with Arsenal.
1: Yeah, that is the big surprise. Now, that, yeah. of course, is opening the door for speculations. We know that Osmanov has said, and you wrote this in the article that that was published on your page and in footballgrad.com, that he has personally said he's not interested in investing in Everton, but... I mean, we we known we've seen past statements of him, and he's basically retracted some of them. Right, the, the fact that he was going to keep Arsenal for his for his stepson, for example.
4: Yeah, exactly. His credibility is somewhat diminished. Yeah, in that sense.
1: And there is the obvious link between Moshiri and Usmanov. and this is this is the link that we spoke about in the podcast that we did a year ago. That yep. uh, Moshiri was. Usmanov's accountant. That's how Mushiri got to his wealth. That's how he became, became a shareholder of USM Holdings, shareholder of Megaphone, shareholder of Metallo Invest, which are all companies, um, founded by Usmanov. And then there's the fact that Usmanov's wealth greatly outnumbers that of Mushiri. I mean, um, this is an old number, but he was listed at around $18 billion. I think the number is probably smaller given, given the value of some of his companies that has gone down. But still, this opens the door massively, opens the door to the sort of speculations that we have seen for a year now regarding Osmanov's relationship with Everton, doesn't it, Paul?
4: It does. And I, again, I under, you know I understand the reasons for people sort of putting two and two together and making five. And I understand, you know, clearly you have greater experience of Russian businesses than I do. I understand the nature of the relationships and what necessarily is said on paper is not necessarily what actually um is the case in terms of ownership but you know th- there's always been very strong denials from everton football club and very strong denials from mr Mashiri himself as to um any involvement from usmanov uh, yes usm the holding company is a uh, a sponsor of everton's training ground but e- e- even that's sort of shrouded in a little bit of mystery. I mean, commonly the press say it's a 75 million pound deal over five years. Um, well, in fact, it's not. It's, a, it's around about a six million pound deal per year o- over five years. And in the context of the size of a business such as USM, you know, it's, it's very, very small beer. Um, the board at Everton are absolutely as one in saying that, you know, they make the decisions and and they, talk only to Mashiri in terms of uh, his major shareholding in terms of what decisions they have to make but you know if i take my everton hat off and i look at it i can see from an everton perspective that there's enormous uh, cash demands on the business coming forward you know the premier league is cash rich as 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 everybody knows but everton have spent excuse me spent a huge sum of money in the last 18 months they've spent now over £300 million um, in transfers obviously they've got some of that money back but nevertheless they've spent that they've increased their wage bill over two years by more than 50% to frankly an unsustainable level currently and they have a new stadium which they're um, trying to build on the banks of um, the River Mersey which probably is going to demand 200, £250 million in cash so when you add everything together and you look at the fact that Mascheri has already put £150 million into Everton, it's not unreasonable to say that Everton are probably going to need somewhere in the order of 400 to £450 million in the next couple of years to build the stadium and to continue to build on their squad as they've done to date. The question mark then would be is whether Mascheri has those resources himself um, to fund that. He says most definitely that he has. And I suppose, from my perspective, I have to take that at face value. Um, But I understand, obviously, why other people are saying, well, that's not the case. It must be using an office about to come in, maybe as a shareholder, maybe as some form of financial backer. Um, But it's quite clear that there's no firm evidence of that. Um, And you're probably familiar with the Panama Papers, which were... Uh, Brought about by the BBC and the Guardian newspaper in England, uh, sort of second half of last year, the BBC thought they had a case to present against Mashiri and against Uzmanov, and that was very quickly denied by both parties. And evidence, in fact, was produced that Mashiri had acquired his Everton shares with his own funds, not funds of of Mashiri. So uh, sorry, not funds of Uzmanov. So it's. um, I guess it's who, who do you want to believe at the moment in terms of, uh, Usmanov's relationship with Everton is the one and is that relationship a financial one? I would argue not, but I can understand why people would.
1: Yeah. That's, that's where, you know, that's, you, you know, my position on this, this entire story, sure. Paul, because we often speak and that I've dealt with. Russian business and when I wrote my PhD and researched it all I, I know that a lot of the deals get done behind closed doors um, I mean the maybe one of the most suspicious ones and I'm, I don't want to throw them all into the same hat because I know they're different but when you look at for example what Roman Abram which has done at CSKA or at Vitesse Vitesse Arnheim in in the Netherlands both yep. those clubs are quite obviously connected to him I mean, Andrew how often have me spoken about this, right? The, the, the obvious connection and him basically putting lawyers mm. in, in, into, in charge of those clubs. And then I look at Moshiri and where he's come from. Um, he was an accountant, Osmanov's company. I mean, we have a very similar case in Leonid Fidun at Spartak, right? Tim, who's basically left-hand person at Luke, Luke Oil, but the real money sits with someone else. So, sure. so we, we, this, this is sometimes the way business is done there. And, um, that really, that's really where I know there's no evidence. And this, this is, of course, and evidence is hard to come by. Remember CSKA and Vitesse were cleared by UEFA. I mean, but as was RB Leipzig and RB Salzburg, even though we know that they're quite clearly connected because what we are, you need is a clear paper trail. And those are really hard to come by. So this is really where I'm wondering, um, because you see, obvious business connections in the companies and you know that the, the money even if it's not directly given from osmanov to mushiri you know that the um, mushiri's money all comes from osmanov related business doesn't it, Paul? and that's really where i'm wondering okay well this seems this there is an obvious connection there but at the same time they haven't done anything illegal because the paper trail is right and sure. that's that's um, that's really the for me that's the bottom line so yep. you almost wonder now, okay, well, now the the path is a hundred percent clear. And you could see Osmanov just step in and say, Okay, well, I'm taking the the, the shares because there's there's rumblings, right? That Pill Kenwright might step step down and that's twelve percent right there. Um and that he could take some of the shares and become an actual member on the board, which is something that you just rightfully pointed out. He wasn't allowed to do it at Arsenal. But at the same time, then you have that weird relationship between the United Kingdom and Russia at the moment. So, would he even have interest to reinvest in Britain? Could he take yep. that
4: money somewhere else? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in terms of Everton's current ownership, uh, Mishiri has uh, options on the three next large. Well, sorry, on three of the four next largest shareholders, mm-hmm. uh, which he can exercise. Um, it's a private arrangement, but he can exercise sometime in the next six months which will take him to around about 73-74% of the company as it stands. The, the, the one thing I would say, and this is a topic in itself, and I know we don't have time to discuss this today, about the way that Everton is financing its stadium, it's likely to enter an arrangement with the local city council, Liverpool City Council, um, to fund around about $280 million of the, say, $500 million that's needed for the stadium. That is going to be a deal which is written over 25 years. It will be extremely expensive for Everton to get out of that deal at any time in those 25 years. And whilst the deal looks attractive from a, a cost point of view, interest rate point of view, it seems like an unusual um, transaction to enter into, committing yourself to a relationship for 25 years. If you've got a, a billionaire Sitting on the sidelines, uh, you know, an enormous billionaire sitting on the on on the sidelines, waiting to come in. I I would have thought, uh, you know, from from my own experience and from the experience of other football clubs, that if that scenario was likely to happen, we would do what Tottenham have done, we'd do what Arsenal did in the past, and that's where you borrow on under a much shorter term, um, to get the stadium up and running, and then you refinance either through the new shareholder. Or you refinance through the banks, uh, maybe within five years of, of starting the stadium project. So that to me is probably the greatest single indicator, other than what the club itself has said, um, that they're not anticipating the arrival of a newsman off, be it him or be it, be it anybody else.
1: Unless, of course, you have the same problem than you had with, with Chelsea and Abramovich. Nabram, which of course has put a stop to the redevelopment of um, Stanford Bridge, right? Yep. That they don't want to take that risk that that could happen because again, treasury list, right? So that's maybe the only the only caveat that I have on that statement is that maybe they even if it comes in, it's not. It is something in the current investor investor climate where you still have to be risk risk averse, right?
4: Oh, sure. I mean, that would mitigate risk, obviously, for Usmanov and for, um, for Mishiri. Uh, it just seems unusual that, I mean, they could, they could probably do the financing with a bank and Usmanov still come in. Um, I'm just saying that the term of it suggests that they're not expecting somebody to come in, but, you know, that could, I suppose that could change, but that's, that's my own opinion at this moment in time. Mm,
1: Yeah, no, um, of course. And then, I mean, this is, this is an ongoing development. And it's a really fascinating story. We've covered Osmanov quite a bit on, on footballgrad.com and, his, sure. and, and his deal, dealings with, with English football. And I'm, I'm personally really fascinated where this is going. I mean, I've, I've written about him in my thesis as well. And I'm, I think he is a man who's quite smart when it comes to his investments. So yeah, I, I think Paul, we will have to probably revisit this story at some point. Um, you said offhand to me, you, if you have, if you think of anywhere else he could go, um, you suggested another club that he might be interested in investing in, and this is of course
4: speculation. It, this, this is entirely speculation, but I mean you, you have to consider AC Milan. Um, they're currently owned by a US hedge fund. Given that the Chinese investor failed to make interest fa- failed to meet interest rate payments earlier this year, it's fairly well known on Wall Street that the Elliott, which is the fund management company. We'd like to dispose of that, and of course, in recent day, in recent weeks, sorry, um, there's been strong rum- rumours that Ivan Gazidis is going to go to AC Milan as their new CEO. So perhaps this is a case of putting two and two together and making five. Um, yeah. But it wouldn't be uh, beyond the realms of possibility that that was to happen. The Italian authorities are trying to make uh, investment in Italian football clubs uh, as attractive as possible through. You know, lax ta- through, through reducing the tax liabilities, etc. Um, and of course, AC Milan as a club uh, needs far less investment at this moment in time um, than Everton do themselves. So, and obviously are a much more successful club and have much higher European revenues. So, um, if you take the emotion out of it, if you take the fact that, you know, Yuzanov may want to stay in England, he may not, um, AC Milan possibly looks a more attractive proposition at this moment in time.
1: And the food is better. Um, no offense. Well, <laughs> no, I would, talk, I, I would argue that point very strongly. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that Italian food is superb. Um, want to stay real quick with Everton because, and I'm actually going to you on this, Andrew. They signed Bernard, um, from Schachter on a free transfer. He's his, his yes. contract run out and how excited. I know I'm. I would be excited because I love Bernard. We have a couple profiles on him. Up, I wrote a profile for Football Whispers as well. But how excited should English Premier League fans be
2: about this new signing, Andrew? You know, I think honestly they really should be because he. I'd say this year in particular because he had that, He had a couple of years where he. He sort of slightly went off the boil. He wasn't quite producing the the, the blitz of, of pace and skill that he had when he first came to Europe. And then I'd say the last 18 months or so, he's been absolutely fantastic again. I mean, he's a small fella, and there will be we know what it's like. There will be a load of people who will say, "Oh, well, he's too small. He won't deal with the physicality of the league." And I would counter that by saying. Yes, he won't be the same type of, you know, slightly bigger, physical, powerful winger that perhaps some people are used to seeing. But he has the ball skill to rival most players. Most players in his position, I'd say, across Europe. Even I really do believe he is that talented. Um, he's spoken as well, apparently, of how he's, you know, he's pleased that Richarlison will be there. Personally, Richarlison, I'd, I'm more excited about Bernard. Um, Bernard, how I pronounce it, uh, than Richarlison because because of his um, it's just his vision, uh, and I think Everton fans should be very very lucky to get him. And uh, you know, like I say, the Brazilian connection with Richarlison it might help. Um, you, you can't discount these things entirely. Um, the question for me is if uh, if Marcus will be able to get the best out of him. I personally think he will. Uh, and, of course, again, there's the linguistic connection there with, with Silva. So um, the elements are there for him to be a big success. Um, and Everton fans should be very, very excited about this guy.
4: Andrew, can I just make a, a quick point on that? I, I don't know him as well as you do as a player. But I think one of the very interesting points about Everton in this transfer window mm. is the impact of uh, both Silva and Brands. And I think without both, either or both of those people... Um, you know, Everton wouldn't have a Captain Hell's chance of getting players of the of, of this level.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's a good point, Paul, because um, Marco Silver for me is I uh, look, I mean you're you're the Everton man, of course, Paul, but I actually do believe that Silver is the is the right sort of ambitious manager um to to move Everton forward. And I think that the personal connection is going to be important. Um, yeah. Ah, uh, silver for me always conducted himself with reasonable grace certainly publicly anyway um uh, since he arrived in England and he's faced a lot of criticism but it's not you know it's not deterred him from from making his name here uh, and I think I think Bernard is a is a statement signing but not just not just for the statement but also it's a chance for silver himself to to, or to get people off his back. I think it's unnecessary that they're on his back sometimes, but um Bernard could be the key to that.
4: Sure. I, I, I agree totally with that.
1: I think it's a, it's a fascinating signing. I I really i am a big fan of Bernard and have been for for some time. I mean, we follow Schachter quite closely on footballgrad.com and I mean, it's interesting how many players, now former Schachter players are playing in England. There's 15 of them. Shows you what a well-run club they are and in identifying these talented players in Brazil, bringing them over to Europe, having them play international football, getting them to the next step and then selling them on. Unfortunately, in Bernard's case, he went on a free transfer, so they weren't able to reinvest that investment. But I think it's a, it's a really good signing in terms for, for Everton because it is a free transfer and you're getting a very, very talented player, a player who was maybe thrown a little bit under the bus in 2014 by his own national team when he was brought on and was supposed to replace Neymar, right? Like in the game against Germany. And that didn't go very well. But I think he was actually thrown under the bus in that game because that wasn't his position. They, they played him out of position and uh, that team was in shambles just in general. So I think you should completely disregard that. If you have any doubts about the signing, just go online and look at some of the highlight videos that he has produced. Um, not just in Ukrainian Premier League, but more importantly in the Champions League and, and Schachter were very good there last year and Bernard was a big reason for that. But, Paul, sadly, we're out of time. Um, we need to move on to, to Russian football. I, I want to thank you so much for taking your time and coming on. Um, where can people find you online? What have you been up to? Okay. you... Um, okay.
4: If you just... Well, first of all, thanks very much for, for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. As always, I um, enjoy it, and we should do it more often. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at The Ask, t h e ESK, and all of my uh, contact details are, are on that account.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you once again, Paul. And we hope hopefully Pleasure. have you on to speak business, Russian business, and shareholders, <laughs> etc. soon again.
4: Okay. okay. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks
1: as well. Thank you. Cheers, Paul. Yeah, guys, that was a fascinating talk. Um, really interesting to see what's going to happen with Osmanov and Everton and the English Premier League. But Tim, I feel like you've been silent for too long. <laughs>
3: no, I was listening. It was very, It's the it's topic which I don't have much knowledge about. It's a lot of something what's behind mm. the, the doors, the, behind the curtain happens. And to me, it was very fascinating. I didn't know much about it. And now I feel like I'm fully uh, emerging to the situation. See, that's what we're all about. We're here to educate, aren't we? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, see, I'm even part of the pod. I'm finding that it's very educating. This is great.
1: Yeah, but we need to talk about match day two of the of the Russian football Premier League. Ah, here, yeah, have I done it again? It's a Russian Premier League now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Manu. Has that bear not sent the fear of, the fear of death into you with the I, eyes? Come on. I should New get logo, it because my
1: screensaver with the red eyes. is kind of uh, hallucinating for me, right? That it's just the Russian Premier League, the Russian Premier League. You know, Andrew, what I do have as my screensaver... I, I have to bring this up before we, we actually get in the thick of things. I have that stadium that we visited at, uh, Ismailova as is my screensaver at the moment.
2: You oh, know, the what a beauty.
1: The one, the one with the weird flying plane and, uh, the artillery. Certain bunker around it.
2: Yeah, the Stalin's bunker <laughs> in the basement. Um, just your standard stadium, really. Yeah. A bit Boring.
1: We have to talk about that <laughs> on a podcast for, we can probably chat over that one for about an hour. Um, but yeah, Ismailova, that was, that was great fun. Um, and that gets me to the first thing I do want to talk about because we've it's sort of been a theme on this podcast is attendance numbers. And the one that stuck out to me and Tim, 5,841 people watched Dinamo's first home game. That's borderline pathetic when you think about what a big club they used to be, isn't it?
3: Yeah, unfortunately, that that has been the situation for years now with Dinamo, and they're just waiting for the new stadium to open. They're building a stadium right now, in in the historical uh, place uh, where Dinamo used to operate. And um, but uh, as we discussed many times on this podcast, they play in him Dinamo Moscow. It's far away. It's very inconvenient uh, for fans to to get there, and that's why the, the, and the attendance is also not not the best. And also given that you know, Dynamo is not really you know shooting lights, uh, they were in FNL a couple of years ago, they came back, they still last year were flirting with uh, relegation, or at least with the relegation playoff. So the results are not there, and the stadium is inconvenient, and um, back in the day, uh, maybe we wouldn't really point that out, uh, that five thousand uh, attendance, but in uh, attendances we have today, which is a great thing to discuss. Um, their attendance is, um yeah, not impressive.
1: Andrew, tell us about Himki. <laughs> <laughs> oh bloody
2: hell, do I have to? All right, okay, right, fine. Um, anybody who, <laughs> anybody who has not been to Himki, you are not missing anything. It is just about the. Hell on earth in terms of football stadiums, A nightmare to get to. It's way, way out of the centre. It's exposed. the um, The public transport is is not good. Um, signal for telephone and and Wi Fi is is dreadful, and the football isn't great either. So really, there's not much going for it. I will say one thing though, Manor. You know, we spent some time shivering in that stadium before. There is one thing that is in its favour, and and this is going to sound. Uh, highly ironic or hypocritical, given what I've just said, but it is a proper football stadium. It is packed in close to the pitch. The stands are steep, and they really crowd on top of the pitch itself. So if you can ignore the two hours to get there, the god-awful Mashrutka ride to get right up to the stadium, the freezing cold, the lack of Wi-Fi, and the lack of prospects of getting home... Then you'll realise it's quite an interesting atmosphere. But the truth is that we, we all know this. Once Dinamo moved to the VTB Arena, Hymka uh, Arena will it, it will go very downhill. And I honestly don't see it being continued really uh, as a stadium much more than five ten years after it's after they moved out because um, there just won't be. I mean, Dinamo are a historic club, and they can only get five thousand fans there. Who else is going to move into it and have even a fraction of their appeal? So I cannot see how it will be sustainable. So I think we will see the death of one of our least favourite stadiums before <laughs> long, um, but there won't be too many tears shed.
1: You're saying FC Kimki can't fill that stadium?
2: <laughs> <laughs> FC Kimki couldn't fill my sitting room at the moment. Um, and there's only about five seats in here, but yeah, I'm afraid I don't see a good future for... <laughs> I'm afraid, what am I talking about? I'm delighted that I don't see a future for uh, Ariana Kimki.
1: Andrew, believe it or not, I actually went to Himki this summer. You Manu, know,
2: you, you, you are a man of questionable taste at times. Uh, you know why I year. went
1: to When you drive out to the airport with a taxi from Ismailova, you have to go through uh-huh. it.
2: Uh, well, okay, if you're forced to, fair enough, I'll let you off the hook then. But, you know, I for like, footballing reasons, you'd have to be a madman.
1: I got stuck there in a traffic jam. I, I was standing next to the stadium in a traffic jam at 6 o'clock in the morning and carefully watching my watch because i was getting closer and closer to departure time for my flight and uh yeah i i was looking at kimki and thinking uh, thank god i never have to go here again <laughs>
2: <laughs> well but, that's it i'll let i'll let you off then at least <laughs> at least you weren't there out of choice but <laughs> it, it's
1: a good question though because like staying with dynamo for just a moment and the the new stadium in petrovsky park I mean, this has been a building project for years now. And um, I mean, we, I said this in the past.
0: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
1: The city of Moscow basically said, look, whoever gets the stadium done first, or the Russian government said, whoever gets the stadium done first, that stadium will be the will be the number two stadium for Moscow during the World Cup, and then Spartak, your club, Tim, they got their act together real quick with Leonid Fidun, and they built the stadium, and they built it on time, and it was finished, and the government said, okay, look, this is going to be Moscow's number two stadium. That, of course... Kind of threw a wrench into the plans of the rotenbergs didn 't it, Andrew, because we just went to that we went to the stadium a few times during the construction phase or the ongoing construction phase, yeah. and one of the reasons why it slowed down so much is because it almost seems like there 's no impetus anymore to get it done on time,
2: yeah, no absolutely when when we had a look around, that was what uh, a year eighteen months ago, I forget exactly it was it was, it was a fair few months ago and they, I mean we looked around there was the building site like well, I mean when we say the building site, Petrovsky Park is a more accurate way like you mentioned to describe it. Yeah. Um, it will be phenomenal when it's finished, but as we as we strolled through, there were just huge pits that had been carved out, um, there were bits of metal lying around there were very few workers, I thought, and that was the weird thing that I noticed actually on the stadium itself um, and, I, and even this summer. I, I walked around outside to see. well, surely now it'll be as good as ready, perhaps this season, the roof was only half done still. Um, a lot of work has been done since we last looked at it. But yeah, I think, um, well, I think that's it. We've mentioned it before. You you pointed out that whole, well, effectively, race to get the second World Cup stadium. And it's, it's a fairly easy thing to see why they, they slowed down. But on the other hand, I'd say... It's been a bit extreme how slow they've been. Even if you've missed out on it, Um, you've got a potential cash cow there that you're not being able to make use of. Um, You know, get get the job done, and don't forget, of course, this is this is one part of it. Is the football stadium? There's the the hockey arena that will be attached to it. There's the the business park um, where uh, you know I I understand a lot more income will come uh, their way. So. I just find it strange that it's been quite so slow.
3: But at, at the same time, there was an announcement from the um, uh, government of Moscow, and they promised that the stadium will be open before the y- end of calendar year. So there's, there's, there's some hope that it will be. So there's, there's something happening, so, but we obviously know the promise from uh, the city of Moscow doesn't really mean much. <laughs> well,
1: it'd be good for it to be done because the location of it is actually quite good because there's there's several metro sto- spots, yeah, close by, and you so you, as if you're a fan and you're coming from downtown, it's even easier to get to than Spartak's arena or the Lushniki in many ways because it's it's fairly close and I think it yeah. be, once it is finally done, it will be a fabulous location. But until then, I mean, we have this, this historic club at Dinamo that are pretty much winning away in the hellhole that is Chimki. And that's, I mean, that is, that is a massive problem. And once you do bring them back, they basically have to rebuild that entire fan base, right, Tim? Because being out there for so long that you lose a lot of fans in, in that regard.
3: Yeah, I, it it won't be an easy job for Dinamo. Of course, there will be some uh, interest and uh, the raise of attendance with uh, the new stadium. That's definitely going to happen. But at the same time, like I said, Dinamo haven't provided uh, any kind of significant results for the past quite a few years. Uh, the last successful period was when Cherchesov was in Dinamo and they had Kakorin, Kuranyi, Volbuena, and they had a good squad. But that was kind of the last um, the last significant uh, uh, success which they had, and it also didn't last for way too long. So Dynamo fans are very unfortunate, and uh, Dynamo ha- haven't won the league in in years. They never won a league uh, in Russia. Um, I mean, the, the the champion they won the cup. Uh, quite quite a long time ago but yeah there's no success uh there's not really mm, players to watch out we obviously know that dynamo is a, a very have a quite a few a very exciting youngsters in their squad but that's not enough to 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 really increase the attendance um, they need the results um, they need in, in investment in the club because they need better players uh, i'm not saying that the players they have are uh, bad enough but they need players to you know to make that uh, next step to attract players they need Europe, and uh, that needs additional funding i 'm not sure in which position because Dynamo is such a complicated club in terms of where the money is actually coming from, who are the people who provide the finances for the club it 's impossible to know because there are so many uh, parties involved but um, it's it's not an t- it's not an obvious uh, deal for example, like even with the um, slight raise of um attendance which not slight significant raise of attendance which we see with other stadiums even mordovia or Krylia of, of other stadiums because yeah that that was significant um raise and um, but it was pretty much in the cities which where you don't have any other opportunities in moscow there's four other stadiums, which you go can see. You can go to Luzhniki, Spartak, and Lokomotiv, good stadiums. So really, it's not it's not really an, an attraction feature, that new stadium, Dinamo. It's pretty much a stadium for the people who live in that area and who support Dinamo. And right, right now, uh, as we know, Dinamo, you know, they, they will need to do a lot of work. And I'm curious to see how they will do it, because it will be nice to see a historical club doing well, especially at the new stadium. But without proper funding, I don't think it's possible. Yeah. And of course, Yashin's club, right? Yeah. So,
1: yeah. I mean, that already just slapped that on every marketing, um, advertising board that you can get and get people to go that way. Because, I mean, you're quite right. It's such a historic club. And um, the one, the one of the saddest things that I thought when we went to the construction site, Andrew, is that his statue was completely obscured. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't yeah. see it. And I think that that, describe the yeah. entire situation quite well you know you basically have the most legendary player in soviet and post-soviet football and he is hidden away because of the stadium construction and that is that's very sad and in, in, in some ways so i think yeah. they, they need to really really push that club and push their legacy and the heritage in order to get them back on track now i, I want to move this on guys and talk about the next club that stands out for me with um relatively low attendance and this is a club that you have closely followed lately, um Andrew, because you didn't the you've done it in two previews um on the Europa League fixtures for Ufa for the the, the two yeah. um qualification rounds. By the time this podcast will be out the, the latest one will be posted as well. Only six thousand nine hundred and ninety people average um for the two games. Now that's not great either considering how well the club has done lately.
2: No, it's not. I'm I'm quite surprised it's so low at this stage of the year. You know, if we were talking in November, December, when the, mm. the temperatures drop, and of course, Ufa Stadium is a, a vast open Soviet bowl, it's not the most inviting. But now, you know, it is summer. Fixtures are coming thick and fast, and actually, I don't, I didn't catch the exact attendance figure, but it was a good, a good attendance for the um, Europa League game against Domzale in the last round, and I mean Dom Zali are are not the biggest name, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, if I can get through to the group stage, that would be the Holy Grail and they might get a genuinely big name. So, my point is that fans are mobile enough to get out there for a Europa League game yeah. uh, and yet, in the league where they have proven to be outside the the top five, as good as the most consistent, hard to beat and well run club, you know, don't forget the well run part of it. Mm. they, their scouting system is very good. Um, they have young players coming through, and they have been stable. Okay, yes, Semak has gone to Zenit, to but you know they've promoted from within, and you'd think that would engender a genuine connection with the local fans. Now uh, we know that the the ice hockey team in Ufa is is more favoured with the financial backing from. Um, from the regional government, but I, it, I, that's not a reason for fans not to go. I, I'm, I'm still surprised by that. However, one thing I will say on this note is I did, I did read that, um, Shamil Gazizov is looking at building a new stadium in Ufa, uh, 15,000 capacity, which perhaps might be, you know, it might be the little spur that Ufa need to, to, to rise their attendances. Um, But uh, it is a concern, you're right, about the league attendances. But, you know, if they stay unbeaten, stay in Europe, then surely the fans will start coming back soon.
1: Yeah, I wonder how many people will show up against Progress. And this is not a team from a (laughs) post-Soviet space, doesn't (laughs) it? They're
2: they're not. um, I think it's highly ironic, their name. For anybody who didn't. Well, actually, you know what I'm talking For anybody who's interested, please do read my preview because I came across some very interesting uh, statistics about progress. My favourite being that they'd only scored one goal in European competition in 100 years um, before they beat Rangers last summer. Um, but the interesting, th- interesting thing is they do qualify for Europe quite regularly. Um, my feeling is they might be underestimated by... Uh, by some fans who might not bother turning up. But I think it will be a very interesting game. They have a couple of dangerous players and uh, they shouldn't be underestimated entirely. But we'll see what happens.
1: Progress Niederkorn. Yeah, read Andrew's preview. Definitely do. Um, I read it. It's fantastic. And it's a club from Luxembourg that you'll probably only know of if you're a Glasgow Rangers fan. Just saying. (laughs) Because they had a rude awakening last year when they played them. Um a bunch of abatros from Luxembourg and they got kicked out um the next i wanna wanna talk about some positives here as well because there is Grilia sovietov right there I and they keep impressing us with their attendance numbers, and I mean the Samara arena is is absolutely stunning and very very well taken by the fans.
3: Yeah, but this is the concern because the attendance is there, but the football is not there. And this is what is a concern and we have to see how they will react because this is what we talked in the previous pods about the attendances about the um, if the football doesn't follow. Uh, the beauty, beauty of the stadium, or if the weather go condition goes down, what will happen to the attendances? And this is what we have to kind of track and see because and Tawetov are not doing well at all, and that's again a concern. The last, uh, the uh, this match day, they lost at home to Arjenburg, to a team who just came into into the league, and uh, who really winning, uh, they lost at home three nothing. It was. If, like it's just a stunning result that uh, you know it's such a beautiful arena with the support of your fan uh career were so hopeless um so we just have to see how that how that all turns out and it's uh, concerning uh for the the coach who is the former Spartak legend Andrei Tikhonov, who is the Krylia Sovietov coach and who played for them in the past as well um it is he's a young uh, promising uh, coach and um you know he has like that general uh, support of of the players but also oh, of the of the, of the of the fans in Russian football. Uh, so it's interesting to see what's happening. Krysov were fairly strong in the FNL season last year. So it's a bit of a surprise that they, as of right now, they're not really ready for the uh, RPL season. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And
1: I mean, you, you point out the result against Orenburg. Two promoted teams, right? And Orenburg seems far ahead. Um, in terms uh-huh. of, the, well, even though Krylia Suvetov are probably the bigger club or the better known club, right? With the, the bigger, um, yeah, Russian Premier League, um, pedigree. So it's interesting that the, that they, they seem a little bit ahead in terms of, you know, where they are right now in, in terms of, uh, match fitness, etc. Um, but at the same time, Arena Samara, third biggest attendance um over the first two match days and this these are in two games right so they averaged 31,034 in the first two games that's that's very good it's, it's very excellent numbers and um you know you're right Tim I think that they really need to, to get the act together quick there otherwise that number will drop very fast exactly because if the product on exactly. the field isn't isn't very good people will not show up especially when the temperatures drop and right now it's august so that's not a, that's not a concern right now the, the heat is probably a bigger trouble than the cold mm-hmm. um but yeah i think you're you're quite right this this is this is something that i think all the clubs have to to keep in consideration that the fact winter is coming um shut just to think about it and that will mean that you will have to have to produce something on the pitch in order for your, the stadiums to remain full, right? And, um, I'm really curious. So that's, that's why I basically have this on here, because this is, this is an ongoing watch and I'm, this is definitely a theme post World Cup that we want to follow and see how attendance numbers have done. Now, one club and they always do well, don't they, Andrew? In terms of attendance, Zenit, 47,000 for their first home game. And that's yeah. impressive. And it was not against one of the big clubs either. It was against Arsenal, Tula. So not exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Arsenal, again, they're well run, small club. Um, one of the clubs that we pointed out last year as being a club that basically should be followed in terms of how they run it, but not someone who's going to empty the streets um, in terms of, you know, people going in from watching in front of television and going trying to get tickets in the stadium. We'd get 47,000 for the first time game at Zenit. That's impressive as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, of the big clubs, I think that Zenit have embraced the... The push, if you like, for more connection with the fans probably better than most of the big clubs. And the social media attempts is good. The ticket prices are there at least is a bracket of tickets that are two or three hundred rubles maximum for most home games. And um, and the stadium itself, of course, is is absolutely stunning. And not just that, but another factor that might have even slightly more boosted that number is that the the St. Petersburg metro opened two new stops, one right on Kostovsky Island and one 10 minutes walk just over the, the yacht bridge um, right next to where I usually stay with one of my good friends in St. Petersburg. So the public transport to the Kostovsky has been... Not actually that great until very recently, and even before that, the attendance was good. Now the metro goes right to the doorstep. Um, you know that cuts out from uh, Christovski Island metro stop. It's a good two or three miles walk to the stadium, still um, a very pleasant one. And and if you're going to go to the game, make a whole day of it, sure. But you know a lot of fans will be put off by that. But now transport links have improved. Zanit are in, I would argue, much ruder health than they were last season under Mancini when it was just waiting for the keg to explode. Um, you know, the the squad is beginning to be trimmed down ever so slightly. Um, Simak has started reasonably well. I mean, Zanit really could, I would say, get even more attendances into that stadium, especially if they stay right in the title race. Towards the middle and end parts of the season. So, yeah, um, hats off to Zanita. They've done a good job with that stadium.
1: Yeah. And we expect them to do well this season, don't we? Um, boys want to move on to the big topic. Um, the derby. And of course, 22,000 showed up to see that one, Tim, at the uh, locomotive stadium or the RCA Arena, as it's supposed to be called, as mm-hmm. we have been, have been reminded <laughs> <Correct>. directly <laughs> by the club that we're supposed <laughs> to call them RCA Arena. Um, great attendance great atmosphere not so good on the pitch tim
3: yeah the well yeah the result obviously dictates that it wasn't the most eventful game but um it was strange because uh we spoke last time locomotive didn't really impress um spartak you know if i talk about spartak and i always do um if I summarize Spartak, I would say that we played pretty well, but our two best players are not in a good uh not any good form. And I'm talking about Quincy Promise and Luis Adriano. They, uh, Luis Adriano had a little injury and he came on and he had a, a chance, a very good chance, a good header, uh, but he didn't convert it. And then Quincy Promise is just really... he I cannot really ask him questions about his passion or about him trying. He does everything. He was really fighting, but he was really, for some reason, he's not in a good form. He goes into dribbling and he loses the ball. Overall, on the other side... I think the team is playing well. I can see what's happening, the control of the ball and everything going well. But like a motif, I can't really recognize them from that last season. uh, Spartak was all over them. And, uh, you know, it's it's a bit concerning even with their, uh, you know, tasteful signings. There was really, there's not that much left on the you know, if we look at the three games which they played, there's not that much left from the success of last season. That's a little bit concerning uh, in terms of uh, their performance in the Champions League. And um, you know, they play very defensive like they played uh, last year. But there's was, there's was this something is missing that um, helped them last year to get those one 0s and to get those last minute goals and to to get those results. Um, so that's a little you know. Even I'm as a Spartak fan, but you know, for the for the for the good of Russian football, I obviously concerned about Lokomotiv. and uh, you know I wasn't really impressed with what I saw from them on the pitch. Uh with their new signing, the Krichoviac wasn't really that impressive. He had a very good chance, not very he had a decent chance in the end of the game. He didn't convert it with a header to the last minute corner. And otherwise he really he he pretty much he didn't really impress that much. Obviously, it's a first game, and he's not probably ready to play ninety minutes at at, at his level. But overall, Lakamativ didn't impress that much, and I and I found this concerning.
1: And when you look at the squad and the lineup, Huvitus, uh, of course, for those who are wondering, he did not play in in this match. Um, so there is they're still in, in flux in terms that they. Yes, Semin is still trying to integrate the, the new signings. Uh, Krikyovojak did play. That's, I mean, Krikyovojak aside, that's pretty much the side that won the title last year. Yeah. Right, and um, it just doesn't seem to be happening. Although I, I reckon that a point in the derby is probably all right um, when you think about it. Right, Andrew, I think that is probably the result that you kind of want to. But then again, yep. they, they didn't get three points in the first match.
2: Yeah, I think um I think it's it's a mildly concerning uh, point for Loka because I actually thought that considering they held together their their squad and they've re- reinforced it with two good signings. Um Gemma let it off, I'm not so sure how much of an impact he'll really have because I think he's um the last couple of years has been quite damaging to his what was a very promising uh youth career. He may well come good, but I don't expect him to feature a lot. Um so you've got a championship-winning side there. They've kept uh, they kept their players that they need. Um, Mid and Chooks both remained, and they've reinforced. I expected them to do better. You know they've got the consistency. So it is concerning, even at this early stage of the season. Um, it is concerning that okay, yes, it's a derby game, but you've got to you've got to be dominating those derby games if you want to send out a statement and ask champions and reinforce champions at that with a well respected manager in charge. Um it was yeah, it was a very flat performance like um like Tim said. I mean I I tipped loco to slightly edge this game and I'm looking a bit foolish on that one now. But um I think I think they will improve their performances, but it's um it is a concern.
1: Timon what is Spartak taking from this?
3: Um well, it's it's definitely three points lost in this game because we had chances and they had a, overall um, you know possession and everything else. So it's a little bit concerning that you know that we didn't win. At the same time, Lakomatve is a good side and they were defending quite well. It wasn't really impressive. What they did uh, in terms of attacking football, um, but um, I think that things are not, not 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 that bad. Spartak is definitely you know finding their form, and there was quite a few good chances and and good combinations which I really enjoyed. But like I said, I think that that the two key players are not only in, in the top form right now, which is understandable. Uh, you know you can't really be shooting lights in the first uh, couple of games of the season, but uh, we have to keep in mind that Spartak has a very very tough August, uh, given that they have two games against. Against Paok, if they go through Pauk, they have um, uh, another Champions League game potentially versus Finnbachia or Benfica. Plus, Spartak is playing against Dinamo Krasnodar and Zenit in that uh, month of August. So, even it's early in the season, you still have to be ready because you have a crucial moment of the season coming up in the month of August for Spartak, and uh, a lot of things can be a lot of things can be won or a lot of things can be lost. At the same time, we can. We haven't really talked about it, but it will be announced, looks like, uh, after Spartak will return from the game with Pauk. uh, Raman Jereminka, who is former CSKA player and who was banned uh, for the use of cocaine for two years. Looks like he will join Spartak. It's, it's not official yet, but uh, all the rumors point out that he will join and he will be an additional player who will be eager to come back to the professional football and show him and kind of recoup his reputation that he definitely did a big mistake. And he will be again and uh, hopefully another player who can... Add a little bit of flair to that attack and maybe create those chances and uh, actually convert those chances to goals.
1: I tell you what Tim if he is if he gains his fitness quickly that is a fantastic signing I agree you know because this is a player that was was in a very, was very good form and he got slammed for um, well they caught him in a doping test didn't they and then it turned out the the legal substance was was um, cocaine. And, um, yeah, whatever happened in the background, we hope he sorted that part of his life out. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a very, very good signing. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he will fit in. At the same time, um, you mentioned a tough month. Of course, even if Spartak do go out against Park, they will still have a game in the Europa League playoffs. Yeah. So, um, this is a difficult month and, um, we know that this part of the season is, is a lot Denser in terms of games than the, the second half, right? Because you play a, a lot less games, and most teams are already out of European football at that point. So yeah, so it's it's going to you basically restocking on the fly, and this is what a lot of Russian teams do. They're restocking on the fly, and then um, have one game after another trying to integrate players. It makes it it makes it interesting to look at, and I'm I'm really curious to see how they're going to get on in that the Champions League qualifiers and it's of course something that we're going to discuss in great depth next week because sadly boys we're out of time and um i'm going to do the rounds and start with you andrew where can people find you what have you been up to floor is yours
2: well i'll on twitter at andrew m i j flint and i'm doing the european uh, previews for football grad at the moment um so for the time being, that's my focus. And when the Europa League, Champions League, group stages kick in, I'll be doing some some live reports from the stadiums later in the season. But for now, on Football Grad and at Andrew M-O-J Flint on Twitter.
1: Yeah, and Tim, you're busy with your music, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I'm organizing a music festival in Vancouver. It will be a three-day festival which will feature 18 local bands and the whole idea is just a celebration of local great music we have in Vancouver. This is the annual festival I do and this time I really I added another day. I've added quite a few things around the festival so I've been extremely busy with that. I'm still watching my football. I'm still for. uh participating in football grad um, uh, group chat and on Twitter but still uh, the music is right now is a, a bit of a priority for me for the next two weeks I'll be crazy busy uh, but if you want to follow that the festival is called rocket from Russia fest if for some reason you're in Vancouver and you have nothing to do on August 16th 17th or 18th come to the Astoria and have fun and you can follow me on instagram at rocket from russia and on Twitter Russian Tim 61.
1: Yeah, and please do. And if you're into punk music, Tim is your man. Um, give him a follow. And if you're in Vancouver, go to the concert, support local music. It's really important. Um, Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, it's really important. Anyways, yeah, that's that's it for this week. You can follow me at Manuel Weff. Um, you can find this podcast, everything that we do at Football Grad Life. Well, boys, until next week, dosvidane.